1: This is Kate Moreland, and you're listening to Tend Her Wild. In a moment, I'll be joined by my co-host, Betsy Rippentrop. In this podcast, we're having conversations about how we as women have been conditioned to lose connection to our inner voice and inner knowing, and how the time has come for us to rewild. Rewilding means a return to one's natural essence. We all know intuitively how to rewild, but it does mean breaking through old stories and the myriad of ways we've been civilized. Having a community of others doing the same is essential. I'm honored today to interview my dear friend, Betsy Rippentrop. Betsy's often referred to as Dr. Yoga Mama, and she's a licensed psychologist, a certified yoga and meditation teacher, an author, and a mama of three kids, ages 10 to 16. Betsy guides people into courageous awareness of their body and mind and is especially adept at translating complex concepts into practical tools that can efficiently shift our state of being. Betsy owns a yoga studio, has a psychology practice, and is focused on integrating yoga into treatment. She's written multiple academic papers and is author of The Complete Idiot's Guide to the Chakras. Betsy and I have been co-creating and working together over the past several years, and this podcast really felt like the natural next step. So, Betsy... Welcome. Hi, Kate. Excited to have you here today. And I I just want to start by saying, uh, we met, uh, we talked about this last time, but we met, uh, really truly met about five years ago when we deeply connected. But we've known each other for a while. And I don't know if you know this, but the first time I actually met you was when you were a bartender. <laughs> yes, yes. And I remember like being drawn to you and enjoying talking to you, even though you were serving me drinks and That's I didn't so know you that funny. well, but I remember
0: that. That was a long time ago. A that was how grad part of how I made it through grad school financially. Yeah.
1: yeah. So we would connect just briefly in those moments, but yeah. I would see you. You were at a restaurant that our family owned, mm-hmm. and it just—I was thinking about that because
0: you. You really are, when you're paying attention, you're drawn to people that you're supposed to know. I totally have had that same experience yeah. where you see certain people or you're curious about certain people and then years down the road, they're in your life and you're like, oh, now I get why, yes. why I why I noticed that person all those years ago. Yes. And you're that person mm. for me. I love that. I've never heard that. Thank yeah. you.
1: Yeah. Um, so tell us, you know, you you have done so many things in your own unique way but tell us kind of how things started for you, where where you grew up and, and what it was like growing up in the town you did and, and what you were like as a
0: child. Mm. Yeah. So I grew up, well, I think I came into this world already a little unique and different. So when I was born, my left knee was hyperextended up onto my chest, meaning it was going the wrong direction. And so it was flipped up on my chest. And I'm told that the doctor said, oh, looks like we have a trick knee here. And they flipped it back down and I flipped it back up onto my chest. And I guess my dad basically or almost fainted. Because here, you know, he just has this new baby and their leg is going the wrong direction. Oh, my gosh. Yes. And so I think already I sort of came in with like, I'm weird and different. So watch out, world. (laughs) And the doctors like wrapped me super tight in a blanket and just told my parents, well, just make sure she never plays contact sports and she might have challenges with her knees. And to this day, I still have challenges with my knees. And I swear it's because it was imprinted in me at an early age that I was like, going to have birth. bad knees. And so I'm trying to like love my knees and work yeah. with my knees so that my knees don't aren't mad at me anymore. That's literally a message from mm-hmm. birth. I know. Yes, I do believe it was some kind of symbolic message. So I grew up in a very small conservative religious town. And I think that I was conditioned from such an early age to be good and to be quiet and to fit in and to do the right thing. I remember being told, people are watching you, Betsy. And so the pressure of like not messing up. Yeah. So I was such a line tower. Like I was such a do the right thing, don't let anyone down, fit in, um, don't mess up. But I think that my essence was actually really wild. Like I came in like, hello world, I'm totally different and, and like unique. And yet this, where I grew up, it was a really like to fit in and to be safe. I had to very much fit my big spirit in a really small box. Tell us about your name. Oh, God, that's so good. I would never have thought of this. So, yes, I, so yeah, I came into this world with this weird knee, and then they named me Anne. A-N-N-E, after my grandmother. But no one has ever called me Anne my entire life. So I was named Anne Elizabeth. But my sister, who was five years old at the time, Wanted a baby Betsy Wetsy to play with, <laughs> and so they started to call me Betsy. So my entire life, I've been Betsy, but my legal name is Anne. And honestly, as a kid, like I had such—I was already this like really highly sensitive, kind of neurotic, nervous, worry-worrier type kid, so sensitive. And my first day of school, they would call is Anne Brandle here? And I would literally be like, who is that? I think it's my last name. And I would be so confused. And so it was a regular thing. I would go home after the first day of school and say, mom, what's my name again? Tell me my name again. (sighs) Okay, well, you're Anne Elizabeth Brandle, but we call you Betsy. And so I think that was also a part of this like I didn't know who I was. There was like this identity kind of crisis early on because I was named one thing, but I was called something else and I had to fit into this little box. And I think it is maybe what drove me to study psychology and to really start to dive into the depths and layers of myself in a new way because I think I... I didn't know who I was. And I was confused. I think I was really confused. Because I think I came in with a lot of wild, unique, sensitive energy. Like I, I was like the little kid who felt things and knew things. Yeah, you did. But couldn't express it or was scared to express it. And so just like went and hid under my covers.
1: Yeah. You know, I always think about your name because my two sisters are Anne and Elizabeth. Mm. So I'm probably Are they actually
0: called to- Anne
1: and Elizabeth? Anne and Beth. And Beth, yeah. yeah. But yeah, those two names for mm-hmm. me. Yeah. Another reason we're linked. Yes, Kate. I think so. So w- growing up, you, what were some of the things that you enjoyed? I know you were into music.
0: Yeah, and again, I, so I think um, growing up in this really conservative, religious town, I, even though it felt safe, on or it looked safe on the outside I think there were a lot of things that were quite scary to me and so music became like a place for me to channel um all my feelings so grow up with a really like in many ways hit the jackpot for parents so kind so compassionate um and they didn't really know what to do with me Cause I was so sensitive and I was feeling so much and I was having headaches and I was having diarrhea and I, I was having all these like physical, physical manifestations and they didn't quite know what to do with me. I, I, I mean, I heard the phrase often, you're so sensitive, you're too sensitive. And now I love my sensitivity. I know it's like part of my magic. It's part of why I get to do the work that I get to do in the world. But I'm sure it was really my parents didn't know what to do with it. And especially if I had a big emotional feeling like anxiety or fear, they really didn't know what to do with that. They weren't comfortable with that. So I think I channeled all of that emotion into music And my sister started to... She took piano lessons, I think. You had to wait till you were in third grade. And she took piano lessons and she hated it. And she refused to practice. Like she just... And my sister was way more of a rebel than I was. I was... She was the rebel. She the oldest. She's the oldest. Which usually... That's not the birth order. The birth order is the oldest, which is you. Uh Uh-huh. Which is the good girl, the toe the line. But I think because my sister was the rebel... You then I had role. to take on the good girl, the, you know, do it all right. So my sister hated piano lessons, hated, hated, hated it and would never practice. So my mom was like, well, I'm not going to pay for piano lessons for you because it'll the same thing will happen. And I begged and begged and begged. And finally, I got to start piano lessons and I practiced every day without anyone asking me but I think it was the way for me to channel all of this deep yeah. feeling that I was having that I didn't freaking know what to do with. I channeled it into the music. And of course I couldn't play sports because the doctor told me when I was born. Right, that you <laughs> were told from day one. Sports. Oh my gosh. So I became um a little musical geek and I played piano. And then in fifth grade, I started to play trumpet. And then in college, I actually... Um, was a, almost essentially a music major. I was a music minor in trumpet performance. Wow. So I took it really, really far and I'm so grateful for it Yeah. because it, it helped me, I think soften all of the emotional intensity that was churning inside right. of me.
1: Yeah. Music. It can be so therapeutic. Mm-hmm. Honestly, it's good. So you left
0: your small town. I did. So everyone thought that I, cause I was the good girl. I was the rule follower. I did it all right. And so everyone assumed I would be staying at the college in our small town where my father had been a professor and then had been the head of admissions. Ah. And my, both my parents went to that school. My sister went to that school. My aunt went to that school. And to this day, Kate, I'm a little still amazed that I had the inner power and in knowing not to go to that school. Cause it would have just been a continual recapitulation yeah. of like my entire childhood, just in more of a grown up context. Um some part of you knew you yes, needed to get out. And people were shocked, because of course I got scholarships and you're going to Central, aren't you? And I'm like, but there was a part of me that knew I needed to go elsewhere. So I left and went to a liberal arts college up in Minnesota. And I think that was, it really was, I, I left this small town where everyone knew me. I was even the tulip queen of this oh, town. Oh yeah, the tulip festival. Right. And so everyone knew me. And I remember feeling so relieved to finally be somewhere where no one knew me. No one knew anything about me. And I could just start to maybe settle into who I was. But I also think it was kind of anxiety provoking. Yeah. Because no one knew me. Yeah. Did you feel the ability to kind of recreate yourself when you went or re... I went... I went going because I towed the line had been so good. I'd followed all the rules. I remember going saying, I am not going to drink a drop of alcohol in college. I, I am going to, I'm going to stay dry the whole time. And it lasted like one week. (laughs) And then all the girls on my floor were like, come on, we're going to do upside down margaritas before we go out dancing. And I'm so glad that I shed yeah. the the small box that I had been living in, but it took me time. Right then, yeah. there was the guilt and the shame. Like, oh, I don't think I should be doing this. No, it was the college experience. It was exactly right. what I needed to be doing. So true. Those were yeah. very, very uh, important years for both. In of fact, us. I was just at the gym the other day, and there was like this '90s um, playlist going, and I kept picturing the the dive bar that we would all go to to dance to these songs and i was i was back there yeah and i was so happy i was like oh my gosh that was so much fun those days they were and there's nothing like 90s music i know it's
1: just i know it's the best what's your favorite 90s song um what would be my favorite i think i loved um
0: journey oh yeah which is probably a little before that. Um, What about you? Oh, well, I can't believe this is a song that's coming to mind right now. I'm a little embarrassed by it, but it was like a theme song. And I like big butts and I cannot (laughs) lie. Like that was was one of the songs that we totally would sing to in our dorm rooms all the time. So I digress, but. College was great. It was a good. It was. It was starting for me the rewilding. It was like my wild was starting right. to come out in right. small bits and, and pieces. And you did you feel like in college you, I don't want to say found yourself, but returned to yourself a little bit. You know what, Kate? I think I started to find myself, but I would say that it really wasn't until my fortieth birthday that I started the real finding of who I truly am so it took me another 20 years I heard
1: I I heard recently that it's not even about finding yourself it really is about returning returning to who you really are Mm. that we spend all this time conforming and Mm -hmm. looking for outside validation and being who what others want us to be and that it's like You know, even you and I going through this exercise of talking about our our childhoods and growing up, you know, you start to see these themes, uh, right, about yourself and and how, you know, what your innate being was. um, And how do you return to to that
0: essence of who you are? It took me a long time to break out of the small box. Yeah. I mean, I started like I get a foot out for a while and then an, an arm would come out. But I think it really wasn't until my till my around my 40th birthday that I fully started to step out of the box. Yeah. And I'm still stepping out of the box. Like I think that conditioning is so deep for me to be I'm supposed to be good. I'm supposed to do the right thing. I have all these rules. I need to be the good wife, the good mother. It's like so deeply embedded in my psyche, but also in my lineage. Yeah. Right? Like I can go back generationally. That's what you do. You, you sh- you're you the good wife, the good mother, the good human, the good Christian, whatever it was yeah. all, you know, fill in the blanks that um, to find your essence, to find my essence. It's felt like a bit of a catfight. Yeah. You know, it's felt like it's been a really it's been a battle. Like, easier for me it would have been far easier for me just to follow the well-trod path, go to central college, be become a teacher, you know, yeah. um, and I I but there's a the inner me knew like, no, there's something more here for you. Right. So you have to keep busting out of the box, but it is scary. And it's still scary to this day. I mean, I'm still pushing my edges and my envelopes and busting out of my old stories that constrain me and, and it's
1: still scary. Absolutely. And and I think it's good to acknowledge that, right? Yeah. We we can't pretend like, oh, if you just make the wild
0: decision, yeah. like it'll all be right? it'll all be easy yeah. and then the path is fun. No, yeah. I actually someone said this the other day and I love this um ignorance is bliss. Waking up is a bitch. Oh wow. How true is that? So you can stay ignorant and Mm -hmm. small and easy and in your comfort zone and numbed out. And there is some measure of bliss with that. It's not the real deep bliss, but it's like just going through the motions of what everyone else is doing. But, you know, really 20 years ago, I think is when I started on my path of awakening and my path of evolution and my path of probably rewilding, we could call it. And um, it's a bitch. Yeah. It's hard and it's not easy. And you get through one layer and then there's another layer and then there's another layer and then there's another layer. And then suddenly like you've lost all your friends because you're on this path, right? Right. The
1: longer you go on the path, the fewer the people walk beside you. Yeah. Which we've talked about before. Yeah, we have talked about. And and there's certain people that come into your life for a period of time. and And then when that time kind of passes and it's time to move on um we have a lot of guilt around that as women too right like well i should try to keep maintain all these relationships
0: but it doesn't always fit anymore because
1: you kind of outgrow or or you know
0: and i think being a wild woman means living in more truth and more alignment yes and so and truth is hard like living in truth, living in um, sort of that more honest place is, is can be really hard, right? And that's scary for other
1: people, right? Because yeah. when you start to live more honestly and in that space, there's going to be people in your life that um, aren't ready for that, and it yeah they don't want to they don't want to have to look that deep, totally, so yeah. Totally. Well, so you finished college. What what drew you to psychology? Because we both are psychology oh, majors.
0: Oh, I, ma- I majored in essentially everything. So oh. I started out pre-med. Because that's what a good girl should do. Because that's what a good girl should do. And I knew it was smart. And so I thought, well, I'll just become a doctor because that'll really impress people and make people like me more. Um, but my college is really, um, smart in that they, if there's like a hundred, there's like half the class starts out pre-med. So they make you take the hardest classes your first semester to weed people out. So my first semester of college, I took biochemistry, calculus, physics, and then like a, maybe like an English class or something. Yeah, right? So I but I stuck with pre-med for maybe like a year and a half. I took a ton of the requisite classes. But then all the other classes I loved, like I took a sociology class and I loved it. And then I took a English class in Shakespeare and I was like, "Oh, I'm going to become an English major. I love to write." And it wasn't until like I think the second semester of my sophomore year that I took psych 101 and I didn't ever actually see myself going into psych. Um, but I remember taking the class and it was so easy for me. And I remember all of my friends taking the class with me were like, how do you remember all this? This is like so much. You just ate it up. I just and I knew it like it was already in me on yes. some level. So then I kept taking psych classes, but I didn't like we were kind of joking. I think it was in your maybe when I interviewed you last week, like what do you do with a BA in psychology? Right. there, I mean, what do you do? So I took Waitress. a year off. <laughs> I did. I waited tables for a year and I got a little bit more experience. And then I did decide, I was like, I think I'm going to go to grad school. But then that was a whole process of applying and super competitive and getting yeah. into it. And I started my grad school in Chicago and did a year actually at the Chicago medical school. It was a clinical health psych track And right away, my little sensitive meter came out and I could feel how toxic the place was and the faculty all hated each other and grad students were being roped into staying like eight years. It was taking them like eight, nine years to get a PhD. And I just, and again, like I, as I look back, I'm like, whoa, you did have this like little wild peace in you that was like, screw this. I am not staying here. This is not a healthy environment. So then I went through the process of reapplying to grad schools again, which was wow. such a huge deal. yeah And then I ended up getting into Iowa and then came to graduate school and then did another six years of school before I was out. And what was what was grad school like for you? Did you even then know
1: that some of what you were learning might not be the way you'd want to practice? Yeah, or that so I went
0: in. In fact, I've never told this story. This is so interesting. It's coming to me right now. So I was in this like dysfunctional grad program in Chicago. And I remember reading Dr. Dr. Andrew Wheel's book. And he's this holistic medical doctor who, and this was still like when mind-body medicine was just sort of coming out. And he wrote this sort of book about mind-body integration. And I read it and I was like, I want to do what he does. So then I thought to myself, well, then I do need to go to medical school because he's an MD who's gone down this naturopathic path. And I was so confused and it cracks me up that I did this. I wrote him a letter. A real letter. I wrote (laughs) Andrew Wheel, Dr. Andrew Wheel, a letter with like, I want to do holistic work but I fear that if I go to medical school then it'll take me another 20 years to get back around oh to gosh. right like I wrote him this letter I mean it shows you how like I was so confused. And of course, you know, do you think he's going to respond back? No. <laughs> but I got back like a card from his company saying we put you um on our mailing list. And, you know, like, <laughs> so they clearly received the letter. Um, but I think I was very confused. I knew I wanted to do mind-body work. I thought I would do the medical school track. And then I realized, no, I can do the psychology track. So grad school for me, actually, I loved graduate school because I think I'm an avid learner. And I loved, loved, loved it. I didn't have, like, my breakdown of what did I do until after grad school. Like, grad school... I was good at it. I learned really quickly. I liked my colleagues. There was always something new, so I pretty much thrived. But it was a long haul. I had to after the my coursework was done, I had to move to Chicago and do this internship at Rush Medical Center, which was yeah, like right across from Cook County. And that was major. right when ER was like the big TV show and we could see at the beginning of the the TV show ER, they showed, you know, the entrance to the ER and we could see that from our office window. And wow. we would hear George Clooney was in town and we go out looking for George Clooney. Oh my gosh.
1: I didn't realize that.
0: Yeah. So I finished all of that, got back, did like a postdoc. I mean, I did all of it. And then I was like in my first job, licensed, you know, seven years of school And I was like, what the hell did I just do? I am almost $100,000 in debt. I went to school forever. I'm 30 years old and I only know how to work with people from the neck up. This is bullshit. And I remember I went into like such a dark place. I mean, I'd gone to this top rated graduate program and I'd done all the research and I had published and... And I still didn't know how to actually work and help people integrate their body and their mind for more healing, which was always my desire from when I started graduate school. Now, were you doing yoga at this point? So I started, this is a little bit of a funny story, but I think I will tell it. I, so maybe my second or third, it would have been my third year of graduate school. We were taking what's called comprehensive exams, where basically you're just told know everything know every citation, know every personality theory, know everything, and you can be asked anything, and you don't get uh-huh. to use notes, and good luck. So you had like six months to study for that comprehensive exams, and for a perfectionistic, people-pleasing, good That's girl, it like put me over the edge. I was it's like, like the bar I exam. cannot, yeah, I cannot do this. So a woman named Andrea, who was Called the dinosaur of our program because she had started the program and then she went and was in the Olympics in field hockey, and then she came back to the program. She was a teacher? No, she was a student was in the program. Yeah, but she was called the dinosaur of the program because it, she, oh, she was like, she leaving, yeah, she back. kept leaving and coming back. And so Andrea, who literally is an Olympic freaking athlete was studying for this exam with me. She's like, I think we should go take a yoga class, Betsy. And I was insane enough at the time to be like, sure, I'll go do uh, Athletic Endeavor with an Olympic (laughs) athlete because I'm a music geek who was told to never engage in sports. Oh, my God. So So that was your study break. That was our study break. We went and did yoga. So there's one yoga studio in the town because this was like, 1997, like yoga was had not reached its zenith in any way, shape, or form. And the yoga studio was next to a tire shop. So it was sort of like, you know, you'd smell like oh, rubber, yeah. very small space. And I remember it was an introductory class. And the end of the class, the teacher had us with our legs up the wall in this like relaxing pose. And I look over at Andrea. And she is like writhing in pain because she's like this strong, buff, muscular, hamstrings of steel athlete. And she is like not having a good time. And I'm laying there blissed out like, my body is made for this. Oh, wow. So Andrea never went back. Although I think later she did. She told me later she got into yoga. But for me, like that, my first class, then I knew. I, I knew. I knew. And I didn't miss a week. See, that was your contact sport. That was my contact (laughs) sport. Yoga was my contact sport. Yeah,
1: absolutely. So in a lot of these
0: years, you get married? Yep. So I finished graduate school, get married. We moved to Germany for a while. Um, And then we come back. And I'm pregnant with my first son. I'm in private practice. And it was really around that time that I was kind of actually when we moved to Germany, we moved for my um, husband's job. And so during that time, I couldn't work because I didn't speak German and I didn't have a license. Sure. So I did yoga every day. And I went to yoga studios in Germany and I started to journal about this like business that I wanted to create, which I remember even drawing, I'm not an artist, but I remember drawing a bridge and I remember drawing like some kind of bridge that links the body and the mind. And so like I knew, and I filled this journal with like ideas. So I knew something was percolating, but then I went back to my academic job in the universe, mm-hmm. right? Like yep. toeing the line, being the good girl And again, it took me similar to you having my first baby to like bust an arm out of that box and be like, no, I don't want to work in a system where I don't have any flexibility. And so then I started a private practice. And then from there, I was like, I need to bring the body in. And so started to study yoga and get my yoga training and travel all over doing, you know, getting trainings and learning from so many amazing yoga teachers And so I always say I spent a decade studying psychology, getting my PhD in psychology. Then I spent the next decade essentially getting a PhD in yoga. And now I'm in my third decade where I'm finally integrating yoga and psychology for the benefit of people's mental well-being.
1: And what an important time to be doing this Oh my goodness. And I, I can personally say that I have had the pleasure of working with you in the past. I can say that, right? Yeah. Um, and it. I was resistant in the beginning. I, I was like, no, I just need to talk about it more. I need to talk about it more. And But there was a day when I said, I'll try
0: it. And Oh, getting into your getting body. Getting into like your body. Working in your body. Yes. And, yes. Then, and
1: then the the movement that I had from you know, being able to, to get there faster as far as like processing things was unbelievable. Like I I remember exactly the day that it happened and I was like, uh, it it just opens you up in a way and, and just it, I don't know how to explain it, but I felt it.
0: Yeah. Well, so that's the thing. I think most people, we are literally stuck in our heads. Yeah, And we're trained to do that. Like, look at both of us. We went to school for a bajillion, jillion, trillion years. And you're smart. You're told you're smart. So then you even give more power to the intellect. And you you believe you can think your way out of a problem. You can believe you can think your way to love. Or you can think your way to a solution. And you can't. So for me, when I started to realize, oh, the body is the wise entity, the body knows, like the body can't lie. Our minds, oh my gosh, they're masters of manipulation and lying. But the body just, it tells truth. So someone is coming to me, whether it's in a yoga class or after yoga class or in my psychology practice, and they're wanting to figure out their truth, I am always going to believe their body over their mind always, but we have to teach people how to get into their bodies because shame is the number one source. The number one source for women of shame is their bodies. Right. We don't want to be anywhere close to them, right? And if you've had any trauma, trauma is stored in the body. Yes. And so we just keep disconnecting from it. We just keep leaving the body. We keep living in front of the body or off to the side of the body. And so when you really teach somebody that the safest and most wise place to land is in their body, then everything starts to shift. But it can take a while to get there.
1: Yeah, because we're so conditioned for so many years to ignore.
0: Yeah, and our culture doesn't. I mean, there's other cultures that I think are more embodied cultures. Right. Like I think the Eastern cultures very much know like, uh, the power of getting down into the pelvis and the feet, and we don't. We just speed through life. Like, yes. what else can I add to my list of things, which then just keeps us in our headspace? So I think hell, like if you stay in your headspace, it can be a living hell.
1: Yeah, and that's where a lot of people are trapped. And yeah, and I think you know, especially in the times we're in, people are looking for a different way or a way forward. And uh, getting into your body can can really be a gateway to. To
0: doing that, so. It's wild because the body is wild. Just think about it. Your body burps and it farts (laughs) and it, you know, like it's wild. Your body is wild. You can't control your body. Like if you have to burp, you have to burp. Right. Right. And yet we can, we control our thoughts and our, what we say. But the body is just, it's, it's the wild place. It's the truth. It's the essence of you. And so I feel like if I can help someone read their body they then know their mind and their soul and their heart. Yeah. Well,
1: you are you are incredibly gifted at this and I am so I feel so privileged to have kind of been on part of this journey with you and and experienced it myself. We've traveled to yoga retreats together and I've benefited from just being in your presence, honestly. And so it's a huge gift that you have that you continue to share with the world and you're a light to so many people. So uh, I just want to say that mm, I thank I you. feel like you have, you know, it is your magic and you've known this and now you are sharing it with mm. a bigger part of the world. And I think that's a thank huge you. gift.
0: Well, I'm passionate about it and I'm just realizing I love this is when you and I have conversations like this, things pop together, but I'm realizing that coming into the world with my knee out of whack, like the way it was, and then how what what it led to as a little girl, as I had severe, like I towed in severely, and I would literally trip over my own feet, and so I was called. They called me Tripsy.
1: Oh my gosh, you never told me that. I know.
0: I was just, I'm just realizing it right now. They called me Tripsy, and the constant thing I would hear is Betsy toe out, Betsy toe out, Betsy toe out, because they were trying to help correct me from right. being like so severely turned in with my feet. So I think I had all so much body shame. And then just being a woman growing up in our culture, I had shame about my body. My breasts were too small. My butt was too big. Like I had so much shame. And I hated my body for so long. Hated it. Hated it. And I do think it was yoga that finally rescued me and helped me create a different relationship to my body. Because prior to that, it was like, well, what does your body look like? Does it fit the cultural ideal? And then is your body performing? Well, my body's never performed the way I wanted to because my knees always hurt and my toes always turned in. So I hated it. So it wasn't until I realized like, oh, I can have a different relationship with my body, which is I can feel my body and my body is wise and my body will talk to me. That finally I healed this massive rift. So I think that's what I'm here to help other people do is like learn to befriend and love and be in connection and communion with the vessel that your right. soul is living in. Yeah. So I feel privileged. And I see that I had to go through what I went through to be able to do what I do now.
1: Yeah. It, there's so much as women that, you know, our experiences and, and what we live. Right. Teaching from those scars, healing from those scars, and helping others from those places can that's where you find purpose because you you have lived that yourself
0: and that that authenticity comes through in your work Mm. for sure. So I'm definitely the wounded healer. I had to go through my own wounds to be able to emerge and do the work that I do now.
1: Yeah. So you have three children. Yeah. So you are a mom balancing work. And and parenthood. Yeah. And um, they're getting older. So do you see that shifting for
0: you? Hmm. I mean, I think motherhood is one of my, it is my favorite job. And I feel like it's always been pretty second nature to me that I, I have a very, it just always has been like this very nurturing quality about me. In fact, like growing up, my favorite thing to do was play with dolls and feed the dolls and hug the dolls. And so that, that is very second nature. So I think that's also maybe why I was able to navigate working, having children because the the caring for the babies and the toddlers felt really like I knew how to do it. Like almost like I've been a mother many times before. Mm-hmm. But I will say now that they're getting to be their own independent people, it's more challenging for me because now it's not just being like the nurturing, compassionate mom who will kiss you and give you the Band-Aid and make you, we call it secret snack. They always come home, will you make me a secret snack, mom? And it's like, I just take a bowl and throw like a little bit of cereal and a couple marshmallows and crackers and but even to the day this day my 13 year old is like will you make me a secret snack it's, Mom. it's love that's love yeah um, yes but i do find it's harder now because i just don't want to screw them up i know and like because i'm a psychologist i've seen <laughs> how people get you know harmed by their upbringing and so i like every day i'm like i'm <laughs> screwing You're my over, children up over analyzing i am so yeah. i hope that uh, you know when my kids were babies And they were in their cribs. Literally, I did this. I would whisper into their ears, be who you are. I would put them into their crib. I'd read it somewhere. And so I would whisper into their ears, be who you are. And I think it's because maybe that message wasn't very strong for me growing up. Mm -hmm. The message was be good and fit into a box and do the right thing and be quiet. And so I just really wanted them to know, just be who you are. I don't care what that looks like. I just want you to be who you are. So I really tried to live that in my parenting, like just yeah. be who you are. And I think they're figuring it out. Oh, and I think. I think that's the best gift you can give a child
1: at any age is recognizing and and appreciating who they are, yeah. right? The uniqueness of them. Um, to this day, like if my mom tells me a story about me as a kid, I'm like, "Oh, that's my mom seeing me mm. for who I am, mm. even at fifty. So good stuff. Yes. And so I think you know, each of our children have their own unique essence and and you know what makes them unique and interesting. and and so by reinforcing that, um I think that's how we build kids up um, because then they start to get confidence in their strengths and their uniqueness. And they don't run from it and try to be someone they're not. Yeah. Um, but it is. It's hard to parent right now. There's so much coming at them and there's yeah. so much
0: comparison. And I mean, parenting now is like... And the phones and the video games. Like, I'm oh, really like, oh my gosh, how many hours have they been on this? But then it feels like this is socialization. also... Socialization. How, how they socialize. Yeah. The, and this is also their generation is the technology generation. Yeah. So who am I to say, like, you can't have your phone? So... We should do a podcast on that. We Sunday. should. That's a okay. whole nother topic. Right, that's another topic.
1: So tell me, tell me kind of what's next for you. I mean, you, you've been doing a lot of your own work. Yeah. Um, what is, what is this time in the last few years meant for you? Um, how do you feel yourself shifting and, and, you know, you are so in tune with the world. Like You know, we've talked a lot about kind of this rising feminine energy and the consciousness. And, you know, it's even supposedly the next age of Aquarius. Mm -hmm. But what
0: what do you see for yourself in the world? Yeah, that's so good. Um, Well, yeah, my little spidey senses from that have been there ever since I was a little girl. You know, I do feel like we're at some major cusp in terms of our culture. And I think patriarchy is starting to break down. Um, I think the feminine is starting to rise up, but no one quite knows how to do this smoothly or mm-hmm. compassionately. Um, I do believe that um, the Dalai Lama said, it's the Western woman who will save the world. And I, 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 I think about that quote almost every single day. Uh, Cause I think all of uh, women were here to start to shift and change the planet. But I also believe that conscious men are also Mm -hmm. here to change and shift the planet that we have to do it collectively. So I do think we're at a major cusp. I think that's also this pandemic. What I think the pandemic is, is a total clearing out. Um, And what I see at least in the people I've worked with in my own self, like it has been the pressure cooker that has brought to the surface all of the unconscious shit that you've never looked at or dealt with. The pandemic just like brought it all the way up to the surface. So what I noticed is that for everyone across the board, it started to to dredge up their shit, yeah, and some people. We're ready to dive in, which is why you cannot find a therapist to see because right. everyone is like, "I need to talk about this." I can I and I'm not a therapist, but I get texts a couple times a month.
1: Yeah, do you have any recommendations?
0: Have any I know, recommendations? So right? It's, yeah, I know. I have a little uh, uh, like pre written email because I get emails multiple times a week. I need a therapist. Who do yeah. I go see? So, so people either were like, "Okay, I want to work on this," or they just started to drink. And numb out and no. smoke, which is also why alcohol was like, has been like a booming business in the pandemic. Right. So I think we've all been given the opportunity to work through what's been holding us back and weighing us down. And whether people are willing to do that or not, I think is going to determine what their next chapter in their life is going to look like. And collectively. And collectively, right? So for me, I saw this happening. I felt this happening. And I was like, well, I got to dive in. And I'd already been doing a lot of my own inner work for the last decade. But it went to a whole new layer and level for me in terms of really looking at My ego and looking at my defense mechanisms and looking at what needed to be shed and what was getting in the way and what relationships were holding me back. And it has been such a challenging couple years for me because I knew I needed to do this work, but also knew I was doing this work so that other people could also do this work. Yes. You know? Yeah. So you're talking to me on a really powerful day because I just got back from, I've been back like three days now, but I did a six day goddess women's retreat in the jungles of Mexico and I cannot even, like I thought I'd been really clearing a lot of stuff out in my life and I had no idea. This was a very like deep therapeutic inner child primal scream like all kinds of modalities and I got out so much anger. I didn't know that I was holding anger. And I've never been a person that yells or screams or So you've been holding a lot? I didn't know, Kate. I did not know how much rage was in me. I had no idea. And it's interesting. I did know the research that women have a hard time showing anger. And so instead we get depressed. So because we're not socially, it's not socially acceptable for a woman to scream and rage and yell and throw things. We instead repress it down into ourselves and we get sick and we get depressed. And so during this like week long healing kind of shamanistic journey that i was on i got in touch with my anger like one exercise they had us do no lie we had a pool noodle and we had to beat like a couch cushion for an hour oh my and they Lord. would not let you stop like as soon as you started to be like i'm exhausted i can't do this anymore They had made us write down messages that we'd gotten growing up. Like one of mine was one of the messages that I heard was, essentially it's better to look good than to feel. It's better to look good than to feel good. And so the instructors would go around and they would say to you, and it's better to look good than to feel good. And you'd be like, "Ah!" you know, beat, (laughs) they would piss you off. They would piss you off. And I went through like layer upon layer of anger at various people in my life. And it was just coming out. And I was kind of shocked by it. And I was like, sort of like disgusted by it. And then you'd be like, who is this right now? But it was so cathartic and literally I lost seven pounds during the week and I don't, it was not necessarily like calorie in calorie out. It was like psychic weight. I swear that I had been carrying and this is the thing that I'm still not fully, like I am still crazily in awe of. I lost so much pain in my body. I did not know how much pain I was carrying in my body. And I'm a yogi. I do yoga every day. I'm flexible. I'm in shape. But I was carrying so much pain. And I cleared so much of that out over the course of this week. And so I was in the gym this week doing a workout that I've done multiple times. And I was like, I don't have pain in my hip right now. Oh my God, I don't have pain in my shoulder. Oh my God, my knees, my knees, my knees feel like really good. And so I am amazed at like, so here, this is what my life's work is. We carry all this baggage and trauma and intensity and emotion in our bodies. And we need to learn how to release it out to find like freedom and to find our essence. So I'm coming back so much more free and wild. Yeah.
1: Well, even the, the, and you and I have done some wild things lately too with, um, dance, the yoga dance Mm -hmm. class and, um, uh, and we'll talk about this on another show, but our trip to Iceland and, you know, those experiences, like you said, um, moving that out of your body frees you up Yeah, and women, we just continue to push down, push down and
0: there isn't room for freedom then there isn't room to be wild. No. So I'm super curious to know who I'm going to become. Yes, I am too. I know. And on I this journey,
1: yeah, we can kind of share that transformation for yeah. you and, and and go on that journey with you. Um, and I'm, like I said, I'm entering a whole new decade after this month and um, I'm the same way. I There's something more that we're both on a journey toward um, and it's it's exciting, but also I don't really know. I'm not I'm not going into this uh with some preconceived notion of what it's going to look like. Any 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 more in my life. I'm letting things unfold um and surrendering to it because I think I think that's where the real joy is. Yes. Well, it has been an absolute joy to talk with you and and I do want to share with people listening that I've known Betsy long enough and been around people that know Betsy, that I can confidently say that she is the essence of the Maya Angelou quote, that you don't always remember what people say to you, but you always remember how they make you feel. Mm -hmm. And people will say to me, there's just something about Betsy. Mm -hmm. Honestly, I've heard that more times than I can count. Um, and so I'm honored to be your friend and to be doing this show with you. Uh, and I think there's so many, you know, we started this because we have these great conversations that we want to we record. And, yeah. and uh, we have daughters, we have friends, we have mothers, we have sisters. And we think that it's, you know, we're using our voices and, and, and eventually hearing from you on what you want to know more about and what you want to talk about, I think will make this an amazing journey yeah Uh, and so i'm just excited to be alongside you thank you kate thanks for joining us today if you like this podcast please subscribe rate and review come back and rewild with us again next
0: week